Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So, just a few things to preface this episode with. Um, number one is that it's being recorded on the 11th of April, which is during the lockdown in Ireland, so the COVID-19. Not that I want to date the episode, but just a lot of the questions are based around that because it was kind of the massive elephant in the room that could not be ignored. Um, another thing is around the 35-minute mark on today's episode, we had some technical difficulties. Also, I believe because of the COVID-19. So, if you've seen people using like Skype or Zoom on like the news and things like that, and you see all of a sudden it just cuts out, that's because I think too many people are using it right now. The massive surge in users has caused that to happen. So you'll see where there's a bit where it just kind of clicks off and on. Thankfully, it saved the first block, but kind of just getting back into it afterwards. It took a minute to get running again. Um, so that's why there's that around the 35-minute mark. Um, so just to preface that, anyways, on today's episode, I had Paul Dermody, who I've wanted to have on the podcast since I started it. He was one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Um, I've been following him for a long time. So we talked about everything to do with how he's dealing with COVID-19 right now. Um, and just everything about social media, about training, about nutrition, um, and about Paul's mindset towards life and how he helps people, um, specifically people who are overweight and new to training. He trains every type of person, but what hits home for me with him is the people that he trains, the, the massively overweight people, and he gets them from like that zero, no training, no activity, to one, which is often harder getting from zero to one than it is from getting one to a hundred. I find at least, and Paul being someone who never struggled with weight at all, I found it very interesting that people who are very overweight um, or struggle with weight most of their life um, can identify with him very well, and he connects with them well. So they're all things that we got in this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. To another episode of the podcast. Today, my guest is Paul Dermody. Paul is an online coach, personal trainer, podcaster, and writer. Paul has helped many people drastically improve their lives by improving their relationship with food and was even the person who helped Steve Griffin get started on losing over 100 pounds, who you may remember from episode number 13. I'm so excited to get into this conversation. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Paul, can you tell everyone a little bit about what you do? Um, how you got to where you are now, and how you ended up in Vietnam. <laughs> you um, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that very kind introduction in terms of my goal being very much to help people genuinely change their relationship with food. I started off, to keep a, a very boring story even shorter than, than necessary, I started off as a trainer in 2015. Uh, I coincidentally was working in an office and I had a conversation with some guy who used to come into the office every now and again and he wanted to lose 50 pounds for his birthday his goal was by 30 to be able to buy a t-shirt off the rack in like Zara um, I wanted to be a trainer so I agreed to train him and help him for free uh, he lost 50 pounds in our time together I used to train him on my break from the office I used to I remember I used to work from 12 to 7 six days a week so between three to four I used to train him in his house that was across the road from the office for six months or whatever it was. He lost 50 pounds. His before and after on Facebook then got me my second and third clients. My first female client lost 60 pounds. And then my, my next male client lost over 100 pounds. Uh, his name was Dave. 
So as you can imagine, those three before and afters created, I guess, a little bit of a reputation, a little bit of a, a demand, I guess. I started working then, obviously, with Brian Keane. He helped me kind of skip a lot of the, the weeds of personal training, I guess. And I became a full-time one-to-one trainer, and then I left that full-time post in Ireland, started traveling, moved to Spain, then I moved to Vietnam, and now I actually do a bit of one-to-one training here in Vietnam, and I am an online trainer. I podcast for fun, I write for fun, and I train people for passion, and that's kind of a little bit about me. Fantastic. And from what I know about you, you were never like massively overweight, and you're a pretty chill-back guy. How did you get into kind of, let's say, you help people who are fairly overweight kind of like the people who don't exercise much at all and you kind of bring them from a zero to a one rather than getting the people who are pretty much in shape and bringing them up to competition level um and being someone who never like struggled too much with their weight from what i know um how did you how did you resonate with that kind of people a great question um i do work with all sorts of people but i guess when i did a men's physique competition in 2015. Uh, it's my only competition I've ever done. I kind of had a bit of a weight gain rebound out the other end, put on quite a bit of weight after lost motivation for training. Uh, not, nothing overly severe, I guess, but certainly not what I would be used to. And I remember writing a blog, just I called it the fine line between mastery and obsession. Now I had no following at the time, so it went viral by my standards, which was pretty much more people shared it than I had followers, which I found really cool. But um, in it, I talked about a very severe strict diet and rebounded. And I had the knowledge, if you will, to pull myself out the other end, whereas a lot of people that do silly crash diets don't actually think about what they're doing and don't often have the knowledge to pull themselves out of it. So they tend to get stuck in this vicious cycle of, Diet repeat, diet repeat, diet repeat, diet repeat. But I, I actually read back on a blog from 2015, and it's the same sentence I'm still saying in 2020. If you're never on a diet, you can never be off the diet. And what I mean by that is once you empower yourself with knowledge and a different perspective, you can actually escape this obsessive need to torture yourself with dieting and just focus on more the, the lifestyle aspect. And what I also noticed as well, I'm a big fan of humor. I love writing a little bit satirically, a little bit humorously, but I did feel a lot of that demographic felt a little bit intimidated. Maybe um, I don't even like to use the word shamed because I think it's too easy to hide behind. Oh, I was shamed. I think it is too easy to hide behind that personally, but I did notice that a lot of training specialists pushed that demographic away with a slightly holier than thou patronizing um, mindset, whereas I just felt if you can get someone on site and on board and actually get them to see that once you get rid of the, the perspective of being compulsively on a diet, you can, you can help them, quote unquote, come off the diet for lifestyle and then they can actually start focusing on hitting their long-term goal. So although I've never struggled with my weight, with the exception of being in college and drinking too much pints and having that beer belly, um, I think it's just the fact that I understand what it's like to do a crash diet and then rebound, even though mine was a comp diet and quite extreme. And I just feel I've been able to channel that storytelling into a slightly more, less knowledgeable and less empowered demograph. Uh, Because I want people to feel 
I, I get I get the emotional connection from food. When I go to Vietnam, I love the street food. I love sitting on the street with Israelis and Vietnamese and Italians and talking to people and having that food. When I go to Thailand, it's the same. When I go to Spain, it's the same. Like I think food is cultural. I think it's experience. I think it's emotion. Um, and I think it's just wonderfully abundant. So I, I kind of live by the philosophy that food will always be there in so many different contexts. So I'm trying to get people to change their relationship with food and kind of see the abundance in food so that they can make decisions and therefore create restrictions around food from a place of empowerment and knowledge, not just fear. And I love that line you said about uh, never being on a diet. I've heard that one many times. Um, and conversely to that, do you find that you get a lot of pushback from people, like clients, when you be telling them these things and they're like, yeah, well, you've never struggled with weight. Um, or do you find that they resonate with you as well as you do with them? I used to do, get a little bit of pushback, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I find when you have a good, honest communication with people, you're not at risk of offending them anymore. I think, it, 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 yeah, I used to get a lot. I don't get it as much anymore because I think as people have come to, as, as the people who gravitate towards me have come to understand my, my personality, in air quotes, uh, through my online persona, whatever you want to call it, not to sound too pretentious. I like to think anyone who decides to work with me after 100 podcast episodes and, you know, so many blogs, they know what they're getting. Um, I, I, similar to yourself, I'm sure, that there's nothing more beautiful than when you empower someone and when you give someone the tools. So when you put the responsibility back on someone, I think you kind of show them that they're more intelligent and they're more in enabled than they thought they were. Um, so no, I haven't gotten it in a long time that what would you know? Because th that's not the kind of person that gravitate towards me anymore. Would you, do you find you get a struggle with that? Um, well, I'd be nearly of the opposite kind of, like I definitely struggled with weight for most of my life. So I can kind of resonate with that kind of um, person. The person I struggle more to resonate with is, this, is someone who can't put on weight, who's trying to gain muscle. That's where I, <laughs> that's where I struggle to, to connect with people. Um, just to move on to something else, considering the, the whole pandemic that's going on now, not to date this episode, but it's, it's kind of hard to ignore the massive elephant in the room. Um, how have you found going from someone who trains very often in a gym and loves being outside to, like, well, how has your training and nutrition changed? Have you adapted your nutrition to the fact that you're moving less? Or are you just kind of letting this be a free time where you know it's not going to last forever and letting it be an exception? Yeah, exactly. For me, it's the latter. Um, so I haven't, you know, I was just telling you before we went on the air, I haven't left the house literally not been outside the front door in nine days. Uh, I'm not one of the personal trainers, home workouts crew. I think fair play. There are so many wonderful trainers putting out fantastic content, really creative ideas. I put up three ideas on, of home workouts on stories and people are like, oh my God, you're so creative. You're so motivated. And I'm like, I put that on my story and then I went back to bed, man. Um, I, I can't, I cannot my, my home, Dave, is my workspace, my eating space, my sleeping space. It's not the biggest house in the world. It can't be my exercise space. I, I just, I can't find that motivation. But, you know, similar to what I tell clients, you know, sometimes you take tr the, the, um, the factor of training and you decide, I'm going to relax from this. I'm going to completely reset, deload, relax, enjoy it. And then I've kept my sleep decent, I've kept my food decent, and I've tried to keep my passive activity and step count decent, as good as it can be when you're pacing around the kitchen. So I've almost used it as a structured means of relaxing. 
and allowing myself that switch off. I'm not one. I, I think too many of us beat ourselves up and judge ourselves when we're less than perfect. And I think that is the absolute opposite of a healthy relationship with anything. And this, this isn't exactly a, a relationship with the pandemic. I mean, it's been forced upon us. So it's not like you're trying to develop a good relationship with it, so to speak. But it is what it is. It absolutely is what it is. And I think one of the most empowering, I think, is it, what is it, the old phrase? Is it suffering ends the moment you accept reality as it is? Or is it suffering begins the moment you, you accept reality as it is? I'm not sure. I'm but either way, the first one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, but I think it's always quite important to just accept things as they are, which is easy for me to say, 30-year-old person, no children, hasn't been massively affected by the pandemic. Very easy for me to say. Um, I've just seen the effect on my clients who have taken a lot from the fact that I'm not doing home workouts. I've done like three three in a two-week period. You know, when, once this lockdown ends and I get to go outside, there's a pull-up bar outside, I probably will do some pull-ups. Um, but it is what it is. You know, life is going to be a lot longer than this pandemic. So if, if people are not working out and not exercising, it's not the end of the world. I, I would say this, though. I, I put myself in a position, and I would encourage clients to don't put yourself in the position where you feel like you're quote-unquote starting again after the pandemic. It's not going to be empowering. I, I have been recommending everybody to not let it completely go by the wayside, not, not say fuck it entirely. But sometimes you do need to give yourself permission to relax and be a human being too. So, I mean, ultimately, only you know what's best for you. The same way you know what's best for you. I, how how have your home workouts changed? Are you staying very active? Um, I do it because I just love to train. Like, I'd go mad if I wasn't training. Um, I have a very active mind if I don't do something every day that gets me to the point where I can barely breathe. Um so I've been just like making weights in the shed because, but like I have a lot of space around the house and I started off training from home. So coming back home now during this from London and having all this space again, it just was easy to get straight back into it. Um, but I can completely understand people who hate training using this as a time. There's a lot bigger things to worry about. Um, and as far as posting home workouts, I was just kind of doing them more like on the Marcus Smith side of things where it's like, if I post a workout every day, it keeps me accountable to do them. Whereas if I'm not, I might just not do them or I might just take the easy way out. Whereas if I know I have to post it, I'm going to do every rep. I'm going to do everything exactly how I'm going to say I'm going to do it. Um, but yeah, as far as posting home workouts, like they're not the most beneficial for everyone else, but I find them beneficial for me to do them. I think it's great, man. I, I, I've seen so many trainers putting out really creative, inventive workouts. I actually tried to put out a couple of inventive ones myself. Well, I think it's really cool. It's good to see people rallying together and putting out content for the good of other people, selflessly, so to speak. People remember that stuff too. People remember who helps them in, in uncertain times. Do you still have any struggles with your weight then? Or are you, is it something you feel you've mastered now entirely? Um, well, I've probably been about the same weight, well, not the same weight, but the same body kind of composition for the last two or three years. And I've just got better at being okay with it like if I want to change it that badly I would but I just think a massive change to my lifestyle isn't worth a small change to my body fat percentage kind of way um so like if I if I ever had like a competition or something that was coming up where I wanted to get really serious about like CrossFit or something I'm more into performance now than I am where I look then I would but for now it's just about getting as fit as I can getting as strong as I can um trying to get good at CrossFit because I started that a couple of months ago and I'm just addicted now that's kind of everything is based around that at the moment yeah you don't want to let life pass you by in like 
obsessive pursuit of body comp because I've made that yeah. mistake. No, I definitely did for the first three, four years of training. That was all I cared about and never got any closer to an end goal. So and never made me exactly. any happier. Yeah. Are you even a personal trainer if you haven't fucked your life away for the sake of Tupperware and a, and a six-pack for a period of your life? Yeah, exactly. Everyone seems to have done that. Anyone who hasn't is probably lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what kind of techniques have you put in place or have you put anything just to keep your keep on top of your mental health, keep on top of your sanity during this time? Yeah, that's, that's a big one to me. Mental health, I put nothing above it. The first thing for me is, again, and I talk about the kind of concept of, I guess, radical acceptance personally, just for me personally, it's accepting everything as it is, not as I would like it to be. So it sounds trivial, but I, I'm very okay with the fact I may come out of this two, three pounds of fat heavier, which I know a lot of people struggle with. Um, but if you're going to, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I always think the danger is not the body fat itself. For example, the danger is not knowing how to remove it. So the, the physical laziness, if you like, is not something that concerns me. You know, I am quite numeric and I'm quite literal and logical. So if three pounds of body fat is, you know, if it takes me 10,500 calories three weeks to lose after, that's, that's fine. Like I'm perfectly willing to accept that. That's no big deal. Um, I have my hobby. I love learning Spanish, which sounds a bit nerdy, I know, but I read my Spanish book and I have my Spanish teacher and my Spanish lessons. So I was doing six a week. Now I'm doing two or three a week because I don't like the online learning. It doesn't do the same for me. So I have a book in Spanish that I read. Um, I have my writing and I'm blessed, to be honest with you, Dave, because I still have my clients and I love my work and I, I can't put into, I can't stress enough how much loving my work affects my mental health so and and I appreciate not everybody has a job they love or not everybody's going to be in positions where they even have employment right now so other than that I actually think staying active is paramount for mental health I think like I've been popping around the kitchen and the bedroom just to get my step count up because that is important to me it's just a value I hold um the reading part is a big one to me keeping sleep routine I'm going to bed a little bit later for sure, but trying to get up at the same time every single day without fail. And an eating routine. Now, I don't track calories, but the temptation to snack is too high. So I'm four or five meals a day, four or five times a day, food will pass my lips. And just those bits of semblance of structure are not, they're not 100%, but they're 70%. And if I've learned one thing in life, it's you don't want to be at either extreme of a zero or a 100. Life happens in the somewhere around 60, 70 or 80. So I've gone from, we'll say 90 back to 70 and I'm okay with that. So yeah, keeping semblance of structure has helped a lot with my mental health, but that's mine. Like some people might need a workout or they'd go crazy. I just can't imagine going and working out in my bedroom. It just, I can't even understand how people are motivated to do it, but that's, I think, fair play to you. I think it's incredible. But people think I'm crazy getting 10,000 steps in my house. So it's different horses for courses. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you as well on that, getting um, activity done in the house. I would never, I'd never be able to do that. But like, since I came home, I can do it outside. So I, I have that luxury that a lot of people don't. Um, the next thing I kind of want to say was with, you live with your partner, Orla, obviously. Um, and from what I know, you have a very strong relationship. Has anything had to change now that you're probably spending a lot more time together? Um, have you had to put things in place to kind of keep the peace? Or do you find it easy spending this much time together? 
No, thankfully, I'm going to say the truth. I've always thought relationships are difficult um, because one of the things I find very empowering is to go into every debate thinking you're probably wrong, but being able to stand your ground. So the one thing about me and Orla that I have to say is, well, Orla, first and foremost, I, I love the woman. I respect her more than anything. She's pretty much my best friend. So it's easy to live with someone who you have such a high regard for. She's also the absolute polar opposite to me, which could cause massive problems. If we haven't genuinely set time aside to discuss when times are good, how to cope when you have disagreements. Like one thing I'm big on is auditing my own behavior. I always try and be quite self-reflective and just think about, you know, I've always been the one common denominator in all my own mistakes. I've certainly been wrong a lot more in life, probably a lot more than I've been right. And the only thing kind of more dangerous than being wrong is being wrong with a closed mind. So I always have an open mind to the fact that I'm going to annoy people or do something different. And I think all is the exact same. So compromising has been actually quite easy because we both know each other's triggers. We both know each other's breaking points. We've tried to be very respectful. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been a couple of times I found myself getting niggly and a little bit sharp where I've had to chill out and go to a different room to work for an hour because I'm becoming the problem. Um, that kind of is a cabin fever. But no, overall, you know what? Again, it's one of those things. It's a pandemic. And I always think gratitude and perspective helps. Like we're in the best ever time to be stuck inside for two weeks in, in human history with technology and stuff. Um, and just with the amount of deaths that are happening too, you know, if, if something ever happened to Orla, um, if something ever happened to her, I would literally long for and crave those tiny insignificant moments back. So like, you know, the moments that we kind of ignore day to day, the little tiny moments that are blessings that are going to keep repeating themselves, we're going to keep ignoring until we constantly find them, consistently find them. They're the moments you'd want back if something happened to someone. So I try and use that perspective all the time to stay quiet. If she, if she annoys me, <laughs> you're right, babe. You can have this one. <laughs> and she does the same for me. <laughs> I think that's um, a great perspective, especially to have right now, because there's so many, like, there's definitely a lot of people, especially people who are like having more time with their kids or, or having more time with their parents. Like you're probably never going to get a two week or this could even be two months. I don't know how long it's going to be a period where you're actually doing something beneficial by staying at home. Like it's not your fault that you have to stay at home and you're actually doing the world a service by staying at home. So there's no guilt to it and you get to enjoy more time with people. So that's definitely the perspective I'd take on it as well. I I agree with you entirely. And, you know, there's, I, I found through observation with, say, other couples, friends of mine that I don't particularly admire, if I'm telling you the truth. Um, I find some couples don't address shortcomings with one another. And if you, if you want to have a healthy relationship, and this, if you talk about having healthy mental health, the relation, like my, my whole philosophy of fitness is the relationship with food and the relationship with goal has to be healthy. But you could say the relationship with anything has to be healthy. So, with myself and Orla, for example, I find that you have to be able to criticize one another, but you have to criticize the smallest amount of one another so that you can actually get a productive result. Like you have to create that almost mutual space to want to grow to one, with one another, but you have to create accountability to not allow your shortcomings to continue and always dominate. And I think a lot of couples avoid difficult moments so that when you're forced to face them, they don't have the skills necessary. Uh, whereas I think if you keep on top, no more than anything in life, I think when you keep on top of everything with small deposits, like I think you kind of, 
in any aspect of life, you create a little bit of an identity for yourself. Now, sometimes it's ego and it's not true and you've attached to it, but sometimes you create an ego that, or an identity pattern that's a bit more in line with who you'd like to become. It's something I tell, like if I have a super obese client and they ask me how to start, the first thing I say is start depositing more into the identity of which you'd like to be. And that's kind of what I do in my own life with relationships and things. I like to think I'm a good communicator. I like to think I'm a calm, tranquil guy. I like to think I'm an active, fit lad. I like to think I'm considerate. I don't know for sure if I'm all of those or if it's ego. So then I try and use my conscious self to make small deposits every day into those philosophies. So that helps. But when you don't communicate for long periods of time, when things are good, you could be opening up yourself to a dangerous world when things get a bit heavy. Um, and I found we're kind of fortunate in that sense. I hope that hasn't gotten lost and has gotten too boring for people. No, no, 100%. Um, and I think what you said there goes for nearly everything in life. You're saying like about leaning a little bit into the discomfort all the time to avoid them kind of massive explosions when things come to a head. And I think that goes for any relationship or kind of any problem that you have that needs improving, you know, kind of lean into it on the daily and not just wait for it to get too much. Comes with weight loss, comes with like any sort of goal that you're setting. I um, agree more. And the kind of the next thing I want to ask you about was you talked a little bit about keeping a little bit of your routine in your schedule during the pandemic. But let's say, regardless of what's going on now in the world, do you have like a morning routine or something or like some non-negotiables that you have to do every day, um, regardless of whether or not you're stuck in the house all the time? Just things to keep you on track. I don't have the most strict morning routine in the world. I, I do love elements of spontaneity. Um, I guess some semblance of a routine will be that I do my Spanish lessons early. Um, and I generally try and read. Like I live in a very hot country, so I love the sunshine. It's, it's honestly the reason I moved. So I kind of try and read in the sun and have a little bit of Spanish done early by like 10 a.m. if I can possibly. But I don't have one of those how to be super successful morning routines or anything like that. Um, I generally, I'm not, I haven't been a morning person all my life. I very much actively try to change into one because I feel better when I am one. So yeah, man, as long as I get some Spanish done, get a decent book, get some good coffee, uh, get some client email done in the morning, you know, I'm pretty content and that sets me up nicely for the day. And then the rest of it, I feel I'm in control. I keep a list, a to-do list, things that have to be done, a schedule like anybody else, but um, you know, as far as it's, it's actually probably something that a couple of people have noted saying they always thought they'd want to work from home and now the pandemic is getting them to work from home and it's not quite as easy as they thought it would be because it takes quite a lot of self-motivation or self-discipline to work from home. So yeah, no, I keep a to-do list and if it gets done by the end of the day, it's been a good day. And again, if it doesn't, I don't overly judge myself. You know, my clients are my absolute priority, so that's not negotiable, but everything else is. So I'd love to give you more, but I don't have it. I'm not that structured. I'm quite flexible in my approach. I'm great. I'm great to hear that, though. And I'm very glad to hear that that works because I know, like for myself, I'd need like something very, very structured. Um, I kind of go by the whole that that one thing I kind of put it as that one hour. So like the first hour when I wake up, I get a walk in, I read, I meditate. Um, and then somewhere else throughout the day, I have to get a training session in or some form of exercise and some mobility work. And um, that's started about the last three weeks, but I always had um, the first hour down. And 
I think that a lot of people who wouldn't be of the same personality type as me wouldn't resonate with that very much. And they'd be glad to hear that someone can still get everything done in a day with a more flexible approach and that that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really does work for me. I, I like the flexibility though. It's partly because I'm at an area of my life now too, where I know I want to travel a bit more. And a lot of that involves spontaneity, but you know, I wake up most days. I know it's client work, coffee, Spanish, daily email, do a bit of writing, check it, check email and WhatsApp three or four times a day to make sure everybody gets responded to. And sometimes that takes no particular order. So, um, it works for me. It does the trick. Um, training session in the middle of it all, but it's by design. Like it's the day that I want. So it is. It is very much by design, but it doesn't have any ridiculous structure to it at the same time. And on that, with being uh, mostly online, and since like all your platforms are on social media, do you put anything like any cutoff times in place or any like limits on how much time you can spend on social media? Um, or do you struggle with kind of the negative effects of social media at all? Um, I I don't, if I'm telling you the truth. No, I, I haven't struggled with the negative effects on social. Um, I, I was talking about it with my good buddy Brian Keane over when he was in Vietnam, and I showed him this feature, and he didn't even know about it. Uh, you can go to your homepage on Instagram, and you can press three dots on any post and click hide all posts like this. And because I'm a personal trainer I get a lot of fitness posts but with that you can imagine the kind of content you're getting basically soft core pornography from both males and females and it's not the kind of content I want to be consuming um I don't like the elements of the fitness industry that I don't love I don't love the many elements I'm not going to focus on what I don't like about it I'm sure you can imagine but at the same time I really think it's really practical to just be the change you want to see so like everything if you pollute your own eyeballs airwaves whatever with content you don't want to see, you're going to get triggered, you're going to get annoyed. So my, my news feed right now is, and my homepage is Lionel Messi and, and cute dogs. And then my feed is my friends, my clients, people I've worked with and people I find interesting and footballers. So I don't struggle with the negative effects on social media because I don't consume content that would make me gravitate towards a negative thought process. So I would highly recommend if you do curate your feed, do an audit on what's on your homepage, your search page, Click not interested in posts like this to stuff that demoralizes you because it, it really makes a difference. Then in terms of spending too much time on socials, yes, I definitely do, 100%, no doubt about that. At the same time, social media has changed my life because I get so many clients from Instagram and from the podcast and from my Medium articles that it's a small, to me, it's a small price to pay. I'd rather spend too many hours on socials than I would spend nine hours in an office, personally especially because I feel these days I do it for a purpose. And that's a nice story to tell myself. I still faff around and waste too much time on socials. But um, it's a small price to pay, in my opinion. So I'm lucky that I don't get too many of the negative effects that I'm aware of because of the, the level of curation I put into my feed. I don't have the Facebook app at all on my phone. Um, and Instagram is, I try and just have a bit of a laugh on stories and post some content. Do you find yourself getting negative effects on Insta? Or have you done the same kind of curation i've done a lot of things to curate my feed but i can sometimes see myself get caught in especially with like instagram stories where you, you'll see one you're like oh there's like marcus smith or one of the people or like yourself you're like oh i want to see their story but the way instagram goes straight on to the next person's and the next thing you know 10 minutes might have passed and you're like what did i just watch you know you might have gone on to the next person yep. the next person and about 10 ads thrown in between 
So I find that happens sometimes. And then it's usually when I want to go online to find ideas of what to put up or see what's trending, see what's doing well. And then I end up watching like 10 completely irrelevant things. And I'm like, oh, how did that happen? Um, so kind of stuff like that. And then I think it's not even that I get the negative effects of it, but I try to limit it. And then when I fail at that, I put myself down for it. So it's more of me making it worse for myself than it actually is. Yeah. I totally get that. I, man, I do that all the time. I flick onto a story of someone and similar to you, 20 minutes later, I'm thinking, what have I just done? You, you almost have this, uh, you know, a fear of missing out on social media. And then if you ever go two or three days without it, you realize you didn't miss out on anything. Yeah, if my business wasn't on it now, I would 100% get rid of my phone. Because a couple of years ago, I'd done nine months without a smartphone and I did not miss wow. it once. But then I went back to it and now because I do a lot of stuff online, unless I'm going to get someone else to post on my socials for me and just get a camera to go around and video myself to send them, it's not, I'm not going to be able to for now. Um, and I've thought a lot about that. Am I just making it as an excuse or can I actually not do without it? So for now, I need to keep it. <laughs> have you made the transition to TikTok? I have. I've had actually... I actually had a video go viral. So I have one video now that's currently on like 730,000 views. Um, oh, wow. Which, yeah, so I've, I've more followers on TikTok now after a couple of months than I have on Instagram after four years. So I'm kind of like, need to put more time into it. Have you? No, I haven't. I haven't gone to that side of it yet. There's, there's still a part of me, and I've joked about this with clients, that in the next five years, pull away from social media altogether and keep a small number of of high high price clients in my life at any given time and pull away from social media entirely i joked about that on i think it was brian Keane's podcast before and all my clients text me going no don't do that yet so um it's not a plan in the moment but in general so i'm i'm i love social media for what it's done for my business but in the long run I'm not 100% certain if it's something I plan on keeping all my life. It's a decision I'll make down the line. Yeah, well, my, my plan in life is to definitely be completely off social media. Like, I'll still have pages, but hopefully I won't be the one posting on them in, in years to come. Because I just, I, I think I spent, if I look at my screen time over the last few years, it's been a lot of time in my life where the benefit or the negative has probably outweighed the benefit of what I could have been doing at that time. Um, but I recommend getting on TikTok if you are looking to grow any page. Because even my Instagram has grown from my TikTok just because you can link them. Um, and oh, it's much yeah. easier to go viral on it. But as far as making a sale through TikTok, it'll be a long time before that starts happening, I'd imagine. Yeah, but that was probably said about Instagram. Started after this. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> One piece of advice it is. I don't want to go down. I like making silly videos. Like, yeah. I lost 27 minutes of my life the other day trying to make it look like the toothpaste exploded on my Instagram story. I don't know if that's a rabbit hole I want to go down. <laughs> it's, um, but that is, it, it kind of, it values people who make stupid videos rather than um, informative content. So, if you ever want to let off a bit of steam, that's the place to go. Um, what, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self on a completely different note? That life is a lot longer than you currently know. 
and you're a lot less wise than you currently think you are. And I nearly think, you know, you can't rush the process of um, acquiring wisdom, bits of wisdom. I read a wonderful book uh, that was recommended to me by a great friend called Pebbles of Perception. I only finished it this morning. And in it, they talk about, um, you know, like the concept of youth being wasted on the young, but more, you can't, like wisdom is the accumulation of time. You have to go through the experiences to get the wisdom, so to speak. Um, so I would just like him to be aware and almost weirdly excited about how little he knows, uh, how little he knew and how little he knows, and then be excited about what's to come. It's the same as I feel at 30, man. You know, you're not obliged to be the same person at 30 uh, that I am at any other age in my life, that I can always change who I am. I can always change course. I can always change path. No feeling, no situations ever final. Life is a lot longer than we think it is. You know, particularly being a small business owner, it's easy to have a bad year or two years and think, Jesus, this isn't for me. But then when I think about life and hopefully having another 70 years, you know, it's a lot of time left. So at 20 for me, particularly for me, because 20 was when I dropped out of college. Yeah, it's, it's those couple of things. You know, you embrace the fact you're a lot less wise than you think you are. You don't know anywhere near as much things as you should. And that's fine. That's part of the process. No feeling is ever final. Nothing, no matter how much it feels like it. And, and, and particularly for me, because I almost got weirdly attached to the idea I wasn't very academic and intelligent back at 20. You're not under obligation to be the same person at any point as long as you begin to change the habits by which you identify daily, which I think is a very empowering realization. And if I could go back to 20-year-old me, that's what I would try and do. My, my entire coaching philosophy is based off what 17-year-old me needed, really. So when people come to me and, and they're like, don't agree with my philosophy, that's, that's perfect, that's fine, that's great. I'm not talking to you. Like, like we don't do the same things. We don't have the same peeing and using the bathroom schedule and we're not going to have the same desires in life and we're not going to have the same everything. That's fantastic. It, it surprises me when people think we have to agree on our opinions. What the hell would it be an opinion then? So my coaching philosophy is based on a younger, more naive me and my current life philosophy is based on all the mistakes I've made previous. And rather than think I know it all because I've learned from the mistake, it's actually realizing the depths of my own ignorance based on the large scale of the mistakes that I continue to make all through my life. Yeah. The reason, the reason I was asked that question is um, I like to think I know how ignorant I am, but then I also, I, fi I find it hard to have or give an opinion being a 20 year old, especially now that everything is saved on social media, like having a podcast and stuff. I don't want to give too strong of an opinion on anything. Because I hope that in 10 years time, I'll know a lot more and I won't have the same opinions. So I don't want to be giving them now just to prove myself wrong. But I also want to want to be able to have opinions now. That's kind of my uh, dichotomy at the moment. I get you, man. But the only thing you can argue there then is as long as you're not attached to your opinion being the only right way, then and you're open-minded enough to change your, your mind in the face of new evidence, then it's in my opinion, it's perfectly fine to hold an opinion. Um, I currently hold the opinion against some of the most intelligent psychologists that I know that happiness is the ultimate life goal. And I've heard everyone I respect, many people I respect say, no, happiness is not a goal. You may achieve happiness through meaning, through purpose, but happiness itself is not a goal. And I just don't agree. Um, but if, if I ever change my mind, I'll be like, yep, yeah, was wrong about that one for 10 years, wasn't I? 
But it's what my parents have always taught me. My parents have always said, are you happy? Even nowadays, my parents ring me in Vietnam. Hey, Paul, are you happy? I was happy. That's where they always go. So that's what I've been heavily influenced with all my life. And until someone shows me better evidence than happiness being the ultimate goal, um, I will believe that. And I will put myself out there saying, I do think that. And then Jordan Peterson, who's someone I massively admire, thinks that's a stupid thought. I'm like, great. Someone infinitely smarter than me doesn't agree. And I'm still holding that opinion, but I'm not attached. If you, you know, so I'd be happily going record in 10 years and say, yeah, I was an idiot. What was I thinking? But I'm confident enough to hold the opinion because I'm aware that it's, it's not necessarily the correct one. It's just the one I believe to be correct in this moment. Yeah. I, well, I'd, I'd agree with that, that happiness should be the main goal for anyone. I've definitely said that before on this podcast. So I'm surprised to hear that there's a lot of intelligent people that would disagree with that. But Meaning and said, purpose. They, they say you can't, you cannot just get apparently i mean again this is just something i haven't looked into enough because it doesn't land with me but they say you find happiness through meaning or through purpose but life is misery life is sad life contains suffering um so happiness is a stupid goal like so to speak but i just if you're so smart if people are so smart how come they haven't learned how to be happy in spite of adversity that's what i want to know yeah that's um naval naval ravikant that's something i heard him saying he was saying how a lot of smart people say they're too smart to be happy. He's like, if you're so smart, how have you not figured it out? Yeah. 100%. And I, I actually really enjoy Naval's content. He, he's someone whose who's tranquility, he, he's got a lovely mix of success, but peace and happiness, where he's clearly not defined by all his success, but it's a nice addition onto his character. I love how he comes across and carries himself. Um, something I aspire to greatly. Yeah. For a super smart guy like that, and then you know you always hear of people people in this position you usually hear that oh they get up at five a.m. every morning do everything the same. He's like just doesn't set an alarm. He thinks it's the best thing ever. He's like just whenever you wake up, it's a lot less stress. Just things like that. So he's quite like I'm, yourself, I guess. I'm, I'm the same. I don't set an alarm. I haven't set an alarm in a year. Um, yeah. I can't see myself ever doing it again. Um, it's and my biological. Or, biological clock Jesus, listen to me my body clock <laughs> my body clock has gotten before this pandemic had gotten into a lovely routine of bed every night up every day um but yeah I, I don't set an alarm anymore either but again it's because I can adjust my day I mean if I had an office to go to I would need to so it's quite easy to sit here and say well I don't set an alarm but you know I have I, I have been afforded that privilege yeah um can you can you recommend a book or a podcast that you'd recommend to almost everyone to keep it quite broad? Like, is there, I know I can think of like a couple of books who I would recommend to almost anyone could benefit from them. Do you have anything like that? I'll try and go down a slightly unconventional route. I'll try and give something that I hope nobody else has ever said to you before. Just let me get my Kindle. Give me 30 seconds because I always get the name in the wrong order. It's waking up. I really like this book. It's written by an author, and I'm actually afraid to go on record as saying this in case I'm wrong. I believe he lost both his kids, to, one to suicide and one to cancer. If I've got that wrong, it's something quite grave anyway. But he wrote this lovely book, um, and I think it's called Too, Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart, 30 Things You Should Know like 30 things you should know before you die or 30 things you should know my kindle is just loading up i'm pretty sure it's called too soon old too late smart um lovely little read i really enjoyed it yeah too soon old too late smart 30 things you need to know 
Um, and I really enjoyed it. It's just 30 little simple, almost meditations um, that he learned through the most adverse times in his life. Um, so yeah, that's one I would recommend that I think everybody would get get something from. Also, to go a bit more cliche, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is pretty incredible. Um, I think it's a wonderful book. I think there's so much wisdom in it. The only thing I would say is I think a lot of people find it hard to put those kind of practices into modern day life at the same time. Um, but yeah, the, the first one is something I think is kind of... Yeah, I've, I've had um, Man's Search for Meaning mentioned a few times on this podcast, so I'd ask that question. Um, and it's definitely one I'd put up there. But that... Uh, to the, the book you were making there, sorry, too soon, what is it? Too soon, old, too soon old, too late smart. Too late smart, perfect. I'm definitely going to give that one a read next because I'm just finishing off Brian Keane's book now. I have one chapter left and then that'll be my next one. I read it cover to cover myself. Yeah. Um, with social media then, who are like the five people whose content you consume the most of or is there even five people? between podcast, Instagram, everything. Gary V, the holistic psychologist, if you know her, I think she's incredible. Um, and I don't have massive trouble with things like boundaries and saying no, but she just has this wonderful way of speaking. For example, she had a post up recently that went super mega viral. All her content is viral. Like she's been doing Instagram for about a year. She has 2 million followers now. Uh, how to say no without apologizing, which was a wonderful little piece on uh, you know, that sounds like a wonderful invite and I'm very grateful and I actually won't be able to commit. Just little things where you can say no, but not say no, not apologize. So holistic psychologist, Gary V. Um, I see a lot of James Smith stuff, but it's more. I almost follow him more for the comic value, to be totally honest, and the shock value. Um, though sometimes I think he goes a bit too far, which I find that a bit hard to relate to. Sometimes I do think, I think he needs to relax on the Joe Wicks thing, but I think he's a very, very intelligent businessman someone I have a lot of respect for his achievements um Naval Naval is probably the one I consume the most I think his outlook on life is worth aspiring to and it's not often I say that about someone um who is it those four are the four that come to mind the one that's the most is definitely the holistic psychologist Nicole Lapara if you get the chance check out her content I think there's something for everybody Definitely, I definitely will after this. Yeah, I'll follow, I've followed all of them now except for except for her, so I'll have to check her out. And I've, I think someone else has told me about her as well on a previous podcast, so now that's twice I have to. Um, there you go. And as a podcaster, since you've already had Gary Vee on, who would be the three, the three guests that you have kind of on your hit list for your podcast? Oh, well, I learned Spanish with the joke of getting messy. Leo Messi, so if anyone's following this and they follow football, but I've changed that because Argentinian Spanish is like trying to understand Northern Irish accents when, you, when, you're, when you're from the South. <laughs> um, Messi, which won't happen. Ronaldo, selfishly, it's Messi and Ronaldo and <laughs> that's not going to happen, is it? And, and maybe the holistic psychologist, I'd love to talk to her. I think she's got a wonderful outlook. So maybe those three. I'd love Dr. Jordan Peterson. And uh, Naval Ravikant as well. Those, those five. If I get those five, I'll retire the podcast. Fantastic. And you've already had, I'm sure Gary V would have been on that list, but you've had him before. Um, so, Paul, thank you so much for this, um, for giving me your time. I know it was probably easier to get some of your time now during the pandemic, but thank you anyways. Um, can you tell everyone where to find you, the name of your podcast, your social medias? 
Uh, yeah, my my Instagram, Facebook, podcast, etc. Paul Dermody. I think it's Paul Dermody PT on Instagram because somebody, believe it or not, is also called Paul Dermody. Since I've gone down the list of finding out who I think we're actually related, believe it or not, there's another Paul Dermody in my family, but someone took the username. Uh, so Paul Dermody PT on Instagram and Paul Dermody everywhere else. Incidentally, I would like if everybody checked out my Medium account selfishly because that is where I've gotten a significant amount of my referrals and my coaching applications. So, um, so that's a selfish request that if anybody has liked me to check out my Medium account. Um, Writing is one of my first loves. Uh, don't tell my girlfriend. Um, and yeah, Instagram, the podcast, Medium. I don't think there's anything else. Facebook, but it's, it, it's impossible to get me on Facebook now because I deleted the app and the Messenger app. Uh, yeah, uh, email clients at gmail.com. Hint, hint. Fantastic. And I'll link all of them in the show notes afterwards. Thanks again, Paul. Pleasure, man. I enjoyed it a lot.